Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen. And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo. Welcome back, Nicole. How are you today? I'm doing very well, Chris. How are you? Good, good, good. It, this one's an interesting topic. Yeah. Because whenever I, I again, doing this podcast has been so fun. You know, I always joke around, gosh, you know, 20 years ago, feeding straight corn to horses to today, where the manufacturing's so advanced and knowing what you do day to day. So the value of horse feed, looking into it, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's incredible the advancements we've made, right? Oh my God. Yes. I cringe at some of the things I fed back in the day, but we all do. And we all learn. And I'm sure we will look back in another 20 years and go, Oh God, we were, we were doing that because we know so much more, which is, I mean, part of what makes it so exciting that there's all these advancements to support the health and wellness of the horse. Yeah. And my, I tip my hat to, to you and all the other equine nutritionists around the world that are doing the research and then publishing these results uh, to, to, to make the lives better of horses. Again, the whole purpose of this, this podcast. So just, I, I guess, to start this off so the listeners can understand where we're going with this topic, what goes into making a horse feed today versus yesteryear? I mean, the same premise is there, right? You're you're mixing together a group of ingredients intended to meet the nutritional requirements of the horse. I would say in terms of manufacturing, we've, we've absolutely evolved a lot. Um, and there's been a lot of investment in the actual manufacturing process. Certainly our knowledge of ingredients has improved. And not that your old school sticky sweet feeds, corn oats, barley don't still exist, but we've learned a lot about ingredients to know that those aren't the healthiest horse feeds. And then, of course, all your feed additive, nutraceutical, there's a lot of added things that go in horse feeds today that certainly were not the case way back when. And and ultimately, when we think of making horse feed, right, the goal is to fill in the gaps that aren't provided in the horse's diet, and then support digestive health, support performance, support, you know, just general wellness as well. So a lot of stuff going into a single bag. And then I also, you know, my personal standpoint is, you know, I'm trying to formulate things to do the best job of meeting a wide variety of horses needs, right? That's why we have different feeds, but also minimize the additional outside stuff you need to do so that you don't have to do lots of supplementing, not saying that there aren't select scenarios where supplements aren't appropriate, but, you know, thinking about how can we build something that's not going to need a lot of extra stuff added onto it. Uh, so there's research that goes behind that, ingredient sourcing, all of those things as well, going on in the background that you as a customer don't necessarily see. You see a bag of feed and a tag. And I think about the concept of value. You look at the price of the bag, right? And, and I encourage people to maybe take a step back from just price of bag. And then there's, I'd say, the tangible things. What are, what are the ingredients? What are the nutrient specs? And then the intangible costs, um, safe manufacturing, fixed formulation. Some of those are things that you can't really put a dollar value on the way you can put a dollar value on fat. But their value means something to you as a horse owner because of the safety and wellness of your horse. Yeah, and I mean, I just, just to kind of back some of that up, I know today horses are living longer and longer 
because of nutrition and advancements in nutrition where, you know, they're performing longer, they're being able to be ridden longer. I, you know, my friends, 40 year old horses are unheard of today, you know, whereas what 20, 30 years ago, that was a rarity. Now you're seeing it more and more often. And then are you, are you, are you seeing that too? You know, these horses surviving, living, yeah, better lives, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I'd say a large part of that is advancements in veterinary medicine and management and care in general. Nutrition is absolutely part of it. But the interesting thing it brings up from a nutritional standpoint as well is, is we're doing a better job thinking all the way in gestation. How do we feed that mare to the developing horse, decrease risk of OCDs, proper growth, whatever, and then supporting performance, all of that. But then we have this whole group of older horses who have different nutritional requirements than younger horses, especially as they get extremely aged. We have growing proportions of horses that have been diagnosed with different disorders that existed before. We just didn't necessarily know about them because we didn't have the science to identify them. All of, you know, the PSSM type 1 and type 2 equine metabolic syndrome. So from that standpoint, all of this other background veterinary advances are also driving nutrition and allowing us to really fine tune diets to support horses with these different issues, which is really exciting as well in terms of supporting them over their lifetime. Yes, yes. I did, I did want to leave out my my DVM friends out there in the world and, and, and all of my former students who who uh, made it through vet school and, and are out there practicing medicine today. And, and you're right. Uh, the advancements there, too, have just oof, you know gone through the roof. It's, it's, it's amazing where we are today with horses and, and where we're going. Now, when looking at nutrition, one of the things that it's, it's always interesting tidbits when, when you and I talk every week and that's ingredients and the quality of ingredients. Can, can you talk about the value there? Because you could drop the price of the bag of feed if, if you went with some low cost budget, you know, ingredients, but, but really you're very selective, right? Yeah. So we can think about ingredients a couple different ways. One, you know, there is putting an emphasis on fixed formulation, meaning I've set these ingredients because they meet these specific needs for this formula for this type of horse. So there's either you could, you could do fixed formulation with low cost ingredients that aren't as digestible to the horse that are less expensive, that are higher risk. Um, So all of those are a component. You can also look at it from the standpoint of least cost or flexible formulation, such that as ingredient markets change, things come in and out of your formula. So those are different ways to look at that in terms of ingredients. So, you know, we've committed to fixed formulations, just trying to change things. It's, it's very hard on the horse's digestive system. So this is an area that we can control really tightly. So we do. Mm-hmm. And then we think about ingredients, both from a safety availability, all of that perspective. So, you know, an example might be distiller's grains. There's some Mm. positive attributes to distiller's grains. They're a byproduct of the ethanol industry or a co-product really of the ethanol industry. Byproduct sometimes is a dirty word. They're like, oh, that's junk. No, this stuff has real value. It's a co-product. But it comes with some risks, like in a high mycotoxin year, those mycotoxins are further concentrated in the distiller's grains. So while there are some positive nutritional attributes to distiller's grains, namely that they're very low NSC, they have some negative health factors. And you have to weigh that when you're looking at using an ingredient. Now, from a research perspective, I'd say the biggest thing that has changed 
over the last couple decades is that we have recognized that our high NSC ingredients, our traditional ingredients, corn, oats, barley, mm. molasses, those sticky, delicious sweet feeds, not that healthy for the horse. We know there are large groups of horses who absolutely have very negative health impacts when they have those. Horses with insulin resistance end up with laminitis. Horses with PSSM type 1 tie up on those diets. But we also know it's really not the most healthy diet long-term for the horse in general. And we know that from an energetic perspective, a little bit lower NSC diet, higher fat, really goes along better with the adaptations to training. So we've moved away from these super high NSC ingredients. We've incorporated more highly digestible fiber your beet pulp, your soy holes, your dehydrated alfalfa meal, rice holes, oat holes, not digestible to the horse, peanut holes, not digestible to the horse, your cheap stuff. Mm-hmm. And then high fat diets. Both of those much more readily available in lots of different types of feeds today than they were previously. You know, what used to be a high fat diet was a 6% fat feed. That is like the lowest you see in a premium line today. Uh, we see 12%, 13%. You even see some pushing 14% fat. Um, that's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit there. But what comes along thinking about value, your economy feeds are higher NSC because they are less expensive ingredients. They're higher NSC, lower fat feeds. So when I think about value, that is less expensive. Higher fat feeds, I can feed less of them. So we start thinking about cost per day instead of cost per bag. But again, coming back to that, what is the long-term health and wellness of my horse? I I don't know how to put a dollar value on that, but I can tell you that the modern feed today, which is lower NSC and lower is generally 20% or less. Some horses need that ultra, ultra low, not all of them, Um, but none of them need those super high NSC diets. There's not a positive attribute to just feeding straight oats. 50% plus NSC. So that comes into that value equation in that, you know, we're looking at feed intake, we're looking at cost per day, all of those things, but also how do you put a dollar value on the health of your horse? Now those vet bills get very expensive very quickly. You know, when you, when you have some, some issues like that, and then, you know, obviously you're going to do everything you, you, you can for the horse. So yeah, for years, I've always taught that, that you want to care for this animal as best you can because you want to avoid that. Again, for my DVM friends out there, yes, you know, we love what you do in, in, in emergencies, but it can get expensive. One thing you mentioned, and, and I always found this interesting, is, you know, how the feed's manufactured. So the safety in the plant we we had a podcast a few weeks ago. It was cotton holes. I remember you talking about it. And, you know, it was an allergy thing. And, and it comes up, this horse is allergic to cotton holes. And you're like, there's no, we don't use cotton holes in horse feed. Maybe if it was left over in a plant in Texas somewhere, you know, where they <laughs> yeah. process it. I remember you saying that. So, but not so much with that, with allergies, but with health, like ionophores and things things. Why is that important? Like where that feed is made and how it's made again, avoiding these, these large vet bills or, or colic or laminitis or some of these other things that can come up with horses that are very expensive to treat. Why is that important? Yeah. So I don't think anyone is setting out to like make feed that's going to make horses sick, right? Mm -hmm. That's never, never anyone's goal. Um, Unfortunately though, whenever you have a risk factor with something that's so sensitive as 
like ionophores. So ionophores are an antibiotic used in other livestock species. They have an important role there. Unfortunately, very low amounts are toxic to the horse, and it does not take very much of them to cause a lethal toxicity in a horse. So there have been multiple cases in different parts of the country where, unfortunately, you've lost groups of horses to ionophore toxicity. So when we put a dollar value on safety, there's different ways you can handle ionophores within a feed mill. So the most restrictive choice is no ionophores ever not just running through your manufacturing system, but also requiring your suppliers to also not manufacture or handle those ionophores as well. And that is the decision we've taken. From there, you go down to things like sequencing, separate lines. The challenge there is that there is some risk. Anytime there is an ingredient that is that sensitive in a mill that can kill a horse, there is risk that something will go wrong, whether it's an equipment failure, a person failure, um, an inventory discrepancy, two different labels got switched. There's so many ways that things can go wrong. So it's very difficult to put a dollar amount on the value of that. Now you could say my horse is insured for this many dollars. That is the dollar amount in the value. And that is fair. I would say, you know, I have retired horses who are worth <laughs> negative amounts of money, right? <laughs> there, that, yeah. uh, right, right. But like some, their, their personal value to me is very high. It has nothing to do with their dollar value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that is where safety, different approaches are taken. And, and I will say, looking at, you know, market opportunity, what types of feed can I sell in my market? Well, I want to sell some cattle feed too. If I don't have an Iona for cattle feed, I'm less competitive in my market. Those are things that companies would be looking at, right? But ultimately, we've made the decision that that risk is just not valuable to us. We would much rather just be completely on a for free because that safety is so important. And there are, that's just one example, right, Mm -hmm, of safety. mm -hmm. There's mycotoxin testing. There's all sorts of things you're doing from a safety perspective in the background. That as a horse owner, I don't want you to have to worry or think about, right? Like, that is my job to make sure that we're putting all of those safety measures in place. So it's not something you have to stress about at all. Yeah. No, I remember a story down in Florida when I was there that, uh, the feed killed uh, like a hundred horses. It was, uh, bad, you know, it was really bad, large farm, large recip farm down there. And it was in the news and, and, and everything. So yeah, that's why it's always like, wow, you got to really pay attention, uh, to what you're, you're putting, uh, down for them to eat. So when we talk about this, I remember when you were talking about ration balancers. So expensive, let's say forty dollars a bag, you know, high price. And then I went and looked at a a, a low cost sweet feed at Tractor Supply, fifteen sixteen dollars a bag. <laughs> and then back in my day, when I was feeding straight corn, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna grab that fifteen dollar bag, not even thinking about it. Horse will do fine on it. Today, I'm like, oh gosh, no. You know, I'm looking at the feed tag. I, I walk through a, uh, in Napa, California, I walk through a feed store with my friend and I'm trying to help her find a good ration balancer. So we're looking at all the feed tags and I'm like, well, I think this one's good. This one's good. Da, 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 da. Anyways, I, the sticker shock, $40 a bag, say versus $15 a bag. But when I look at that $40, I'm feeding at such a low rate, right? Like it's 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 one pound a day versus five, six, seven, eight pounds a day of a cheaper feed. So can you, I guess you can just talk about the general, you've already alluded to some of it as far as health costs, but you know, when people look at the, 
they should look more than just the price, right? Like it's just, it's, you've got to look past that. Oh, 100%. So what I always encourage people to think about is the cost per day. And you can look at this in your concentrate, right? The bag of stuff you're buying. I'd encourage you to take it further, your forage. Okay, so sometimes the cheaper bale of hay is actually more expensive in the long run because you have to feed more of it, add more concentrate to fill in the gaps, etc. Your supplements count too, okay? Uh, particularly if you're using supplements that are designed to supply foundational nutrition. I'm not saying your joint supplement counts, right? But anything that is there to provide foundational, so vitamins, minerals, amino acids, so your huff supplement, your coat supplement, your top line supplement, etc. Not saying that there isn't the occasional horse who needs more than what is provided in even a great diet. But if every horse is on that, there's probably something wrong with a lower part of your diet, meaning the foundation is forage. We fill in the gaps of the concentrate. And I think about it as a pyramid and the tippy tippy top mm-hmm. are supplements. So I encourage you to think of all of it as terms of cost per day, not cost per bag. So ignoring the forage part, okay, we, we've got a great deal on good quality forage and we're feeding as much of it as that horse would like. Perfect, we need to fill in the gaps. In the case of your comparison between Essential K and the cheap sweet feed, Essential K is by far the most economical way to provide the the nutrition that's not in the hay to your horse. Because like you mentioned, low feeding rate, highly concentrated. It's always going to be less expensive than trying to do it with a couple different supplements and generally more palatable to the horse. Uh, And it's certainly greater value than if, in this example, Chris, your horse, Dobbin, pretty easy keeper. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't need a whole lot in addition to his hay. He's maintaining his weight, but you know, Dobbin needs additional nutrients that aren't in the hay. So if you looked at that $40 bag of ration balancer and that $16 bag of sweet feed, and you were going to feed a pound of either, don't get me wrong per pound. The sweet feed is still much less expensive, but it doesn't supply all of the nutrition that horse needs. Therefore the better value by far is the ration balancer because you couldn't recreate that level of nutrition with supplements, mixing stuff together, mad sciencing, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. Now, if your horse needs additional calories, it is not good value to try to feed five pounds of essential K. All right. It's designed to be fed between generally average size horse, one to three pounds per day, pending level of work stage of production. So one to two pounds for that horse in maintenance or work three pounds for my really easy keeping broodmare. But if that horse needs additional calories, adding more essential K is not a good value because it's not how it is designed to be fed. That's a very expensive way to put calories in a horse. Then we look at complete feeds. So now maybe I'm comparing my sweet feed, 16 bucks a bag to something like calm and easy, call it $25 a bag. And I will say, Prices vary. Talk to your local retailer. Don't take any of these prices off the cuff as what it'll cost. Um, Thinking about calm and easy versus our sweet feed. Our sweet feed is high NSC, low fat. That is what those look like. Calm and easy is low NSC, only 13.5%. It's bringing in its calories through fat. So it's a moderate fat feed at 8% and fiber. So if you were feeding the minimum amount of calm and easy to provide the nutrients, four pounds per day. Calorically, you'd probably be feeding more like six pounds per day 
of that sweet feed just because mm. the higher fat, okay, we put more calories per pound into the easy than we do the sweet feed. It's healthier because it's lower NSC and you're getting way more nutrients, copper, zinc, vitamins in the four pounds of easy versus the six pounds per day of our sweet feed. Not to mention, you know, your additional feed additives, things that are designed to support gut health, like pre and probiotics, uh, immune health, your vitamin C, et cetera, et cetera. So we start thinking about what is the cost per day? And I'm looking at that on a feed intake level. Okay. So I've probably got them a lot closer mm-hmm. in dollars per day, just because I've had to adjust the feeding rate down on the higher quality feed. And then I start factoring in the higher level of nutrition. All of a sudden you start seeing the value. Yeah. This particularly amplifies when we talk about our hard keepers. So those horses, you need to feed a lot of calories. Those high fat feeds, the sticker price on the bag, absolutely a little bit harder to take, but because you're able to feed less of it, you end up really magnifying that difference between your economy feeds and your higher end, higher fat feeds, never mind the health, additional nutrition, et cetera. No, and I know we've done some of the math too, and it, and it was you know very comparable on a lot of these feeds. So uh, maybe that, that's I, I wrote this down. Maybe another thing we can talk about is, is cost per day on feeding and looking at that because when it, I mean I'm just thinking of the, the added pre and probiotics and and all the other things that we used to buy separately, vitamin mineral mixes. It's all in the feed now. Like we don't need to go out and spend all that extra hundred dollars a month. Or whatever it is to to add these that's cheap. Well, Chris. that was cheap back in the day. It was I remember the vitamin yeah. selenium mixes and God mixing yeah, it yeah. up. It was like I was in a, a chemistry lab trying to get my horse's feed right. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little apple flavoring, and it just it added up. It was so expensive, and it still does, right? Yeah, and and the reason why it adds up, right? Because a you're paying for the small packaging and Mm. the manufacturing and distribution of supplements, right? Mm -hmm. So for me to put the exact same amount of copper in a feed as you to feed it in a product designed to be top dressed, it it simply costs me less money to provide it to you in the feed, just in terms of the base price. Um, And then also you have the assurance that that it's fortified and balanced in an appropriate way. Right. I I don't expect you as a horse owner to have to put in the time to recreate all of that training that folks do in order to do these. Right. You should be out enjoying your horse and doing all of those other things. So there's, you know, cost and peace of mind as well or value and peace of mind. Well, I think we'll leave it at there. That, that's it's always fascinating when we really kind of dig into the weeds on this, and it it, it gave me some more topics for for future podcasts. But for anybody out there, if if there's a podcast topic that we haven't covered yet, or you want more information on, please contact us. That's in the show notes. You can click on there or on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Find Tribute Equine Nutrition, and you can post on there and and comment, and we'll get back to you. But thanks a lot, Nicole. I mean, it's always a fascinating talk when we think about, you know, how I, I just I love the history of it because I remember going back to my early days to where we are today. And like you said, in 20 years, if we're still doing this podcast, I wonder what we'll be talking about. <laughs> okay. Oh, we use I'm this not AI- thinking that far ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we use this AI generated laser system that created this super feed. Anyways, now thank you so much for listening. And, you know, we're going to be back next week with another fascinating topic. Thanks a lot, Nicole. Thanks so much, Chris.